amazing. We at Real Estate Right have hit 100 episodes. And to celebrate, we have the man who has been with us from the very start, giving us the best advice, amazing prizes, and continuous support building the reputation of both Real Estate Right and our copywriting company, Real Copyright. The one and only Frank Volantic from Advantage Property Consulting. So come on all, celebrate with us. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Estate Right has grown to become a reputable source of information for those who don't do real estate every day. We are constantly in the top 40 how-to podcasts in Australia, in Apple Podcasts, as well as popping up in the charts in New Zealand and around Europe, as those keen to buy into Melbourne download our episodes. If you would like to support us, you can go to realestaterights.com.au to be a patron or look for advertising opportunities. Or you may just want to be a guest host on the podcast to come to talk about your product or service that is affiliated with the Melbourne real estate industry. As we said before, today we have the amazing Frank Volantic from Advantage Property Consulting. And he is going to give us his top 10 do's when it comes to investing. Next year, he'll come back to tell us his top 10 don'ts when it comes to investing. So welcome, Frank. So glad to have you again to celebrate our 100th episode. Thanks, Sue, again for having me on your podcast. Thank you for coming to celebrate our 100th episode. How cool is that? Oh, fantastic. How (laughs) awesome is that? Congratulations. Thank you. So now you've got a list today which has been kept top secret because you didn't even tell me until, you know, a couple of hours ago, whatever. Anyway, so let's get into it. Now, what's your number one um, best do when it comes to investing? Well, it's all about the three golden rules of real estate. It's always location, location, location. Uh, If it's a really poor location, it's a great property. It doesn't really matter. You can change a property's features, uh, but you can't change its location. So so that really underpins everything. Uh, there's a great website called walkscore.com yes. and uh, listeners can get on that, put any address in and it'll tell you how close it is, how walkable it is to various amenities that people want these days, cafes, shops, parks, beaches, schools, um, and they'll give you a walk score out of 100. The higher it is, the better. So that's just a really good check to see how close things are and how walkable they are. Mm-hmm. It also on that uh, walk score site gives you a transit score. So it tells you how close it is to transport out of 100 as well. Okay. And that's a key as well because most people want to be walking distance to transport. They mm-hmm. want to be walking distance to cafes, shops, restaurants, schools, they want to be walking distance to other amenities such as shopping centres or uh, beaches, parks, you know, all those added attractions and that really adds value to a property. I know um, in Elwood where I live, if you're close to the water and close to the cafes and restaurants, you probably pay about another 20% premium versus being down the other end, uh, the Brighton Road end of Elwood, which is not as close to cafes and shops. So it can make a major difference and 
It uh, has always been very, very, uh, very, very popular with buyers to be, you know, within walking distance. So, so yeah, it, very, very important to follow the three golden rules, location, location, location. If it doesn't meet that criteria, then we won't even look at the other nine criteria. Yeah, fair enough. Now, it's funny because um, in the 20 plus years I've been doing this job, I actually had the first agent say to me, besides yourself, um, that, you know, this property's got a walk score of 98, so we should promote that. And I'm like, oh, the only person I've spoken to who does that is Frank. But it's yeah. becoming popular. Well, it's just a great way to have a look at where, you know, where a property is and, and what it has uh, close by, so all yes. the attractions close by, and it's just a really easy resource to use. We use it with all of the properties that we look at. Yeah, sounds good. Now, okay, what's your number two? If number one's location, 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 number two, it's got to be good. Uh, land depreciates and buildings depreciate. So, you know, it's really important to focus on properties that have land value Yes. Uh, because ultimately the land is the value that goes up. So uh, the buildings get older and they depreciate by about 2.5% in value each year. So yes. after about 40 years, a brand-new building is depreciated to zero, yes. whereas the land value is what drives the property's uh, growth. Uh, so when I bought my first property in Foam Street in Alwood in 2000, the land value was about $1,000 a square metre. Yes. Uh, now the land value, uh, 20 one years later is around five thousand to six thousand dollars a square meter. So instead of paying five hundred thousand, you're paying three million dollars for for the similar property. So that's really what is driving the property's growth and underpins, you know, your investment potential. Uh, so if you're looking at buying units or apartments, really try and focus on something that has got some land content, got a nice courtyard, got a backyard. Uh, better off going for a villa unit than a high-rise apartment in, in the CBD. So, you know, get some land content and that will really drive your uh, your property portfolio. So um, it's really important to, to focus on uh, land value as well because you can buy land out in Timbuktu and it's not worth a hell of a lot. You can buy acres and acres and acres. Um, yeah. So ideally the land is more valuable the closer to Melbourne CBD or uh, now uh, that with the Corona uh, pandemic, um, also closer to coastal areas and, and regional areas as well. So there's been a big shift as to how sort of properties are, are valued. Uh, but it's it's always important to focus on land yes. and uh, and not buildings. Yes, actually, I got a uh, lovely little letter from the uh, Mornington Peninsula Council yesterday, um, saying that in the next sixteen years they anticipate an extra. 38,000 people living down the peninsula and uh, which they're suggesting would be around 1,200 homes. So they've got to do some amendments to the planning scheme to make that. I've got that as well. Yeah, yeah. I've got a holiday house in, in Germana and I, I've got yeah. the same uh, letter. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting. But it has exploded down there because of uh, COVID and um, people's lifestyle changes, but um, ultimately still, you know, land is always going to be valuable uh, close to a major capital city like Melbourne or Sydney, yes. um, and land will always appreciate in those areas. Uh, it doesn't matter what happens in the economy or with migration, those areas will continue to yes. see strong growth. Yes, they will. Now, how about your number three? How's that fair? 
Number three, the, the, uh, it's very important. Capital growth is the key versus rental income. So, you know, you can get a really good rental return. Um, so say service departments, um, student accommodation, uh, you know, can give you some good rental returns. You might get four to five percent gross return, which is quite good in Melbourne these days. For instance, you're only getting about two to three percent, uh, with other investments. Uh, but then you're not really going to get any cap. Yeah, or less, yeah. And you're not really going to get any capital growth, though, with those investments because they're, they're not owner-occupied um, stock or properties and owner-occupied properties tend to get more growth because, you know, people buy them with emotion and people will always see them as in stronger demand. So, so really important when you're building a portfolio is to look at properties that are going to give you more capital growth and that's typically properties that have got that land content. Uh, that aren't high-rise apartments in the city where there's an oversupply, uh, that are, I suppose, that little bit more unique where there's uh, scarcity appeal and the demand is higher and uh, family homes at the moment are going uh, gangbusters in Melbourne uh, because, you know, families are upsizing and downsizing. So if you've got a family home with a decent block and that lifestyle uh, amenities like pools and, you know, and recreational facilities, you know, those properties are in such strong demand. So so really focusing on, you know, capital growth is the, the number one. And rental income, if you're trying to grow your portfolio, in, in the first 10 years, I always say to clients, focus on capital growth for the first 10 years. As you near retirement then, you might then focus more on rental income and you might start to look at cash flow positive properties or more commercial properties. But initially in the first 10 years, it's about building um, your portfolio and building your wealth. And then later on, it might be more about sort of getting some more cash flow positive properties. Yeah. So it's all about the strategy, isn't it? It's it's the long-term strategy. Yeah, long-term and, and also the right strategy. So, you know, um, most of my investors would not invest in commercial property at the start of their journey. They do that yeah. uh, later on in their journey where, you know, they're after more of that cash flow, the more passive income. They might start to, you know, buy some properties there that, you know, are just focused on getting rental income versus, you know, initially focusing on that property that's got a bit more land value that's going to get more capital growth. Uh, and it might be more lifestyle properties as well as they get older. Um, you know, they might look at, you know, buying properties down the, the coastal areas now and, you know, yeah. having it as part retirement and then also having it as part income where they might rent those properties out Airbnb because the, yeah. the Airbnb market in those coastal areas is, again, going gangbusters. They're getting some fantastic returns. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it's, it's very, very popular. Yeah. So is that why you always see old people at commercial, um, property auctions? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if we can sort of say that. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose there are, there are more, um, old people at commercial property auctions because they're probably nearing that stage of, uh, you know, yeah. being closer to retirement. And yes, uh, they're, they're probably, you know, focusing more on that uh, retirement versus, you know, the, the youngies probably focusing more on residential. And, and that's uh, that's a general rule of thumb is that, you know, most people will look at residential and capital growth first and then commercial property and, you know, cash flow uh, positive properties or, or, you know, higher return properties second. Yeah, sounds good. Now, how about your number four? What's going lower down the ladder? 
Yeah. Well, we see it on the block TV show every year, don't we? You know, the, the renovations. Yeah. Um, they can add a lot of value to a property. And that's my uh, fourth tip is, you know, add value with renovations. Uh, buy the old ugly duckling property um, and, you know, add value mm-hmm. to that property because that can increase the property's value overnight. Um, classic example is a lot of our investors buy through our group block strategy. Um, we had one recently, mm-hmm. a client of mine, Tony, who bought uh, a block of units in Maidstone for 435000 He spent about 30000 renovating those properties. He got a good purchase price. We bought wholesale at the start. It was off market, but he was able to increase that property's value up to 686000 almost overnight by you know buying wholesale off market, which is really a key at the moment in Melbourne's hot market. Anything going to auction is going through the roof. Um, so if you can buy off market yes. and then you can add value. I think if you spend 30000 on a renovation, you're generally going to get in this market 100000 plus back. So it can be a really right. good investment. Um, and then if you're not selling it and you can then increase that property's value and the equity, um, that's your sort of, I suppose, free equity that you can tap into to potentially buy further properties. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the sort of name of the game if you're wanting to build a portfolio is to try and create a manufacturer equity um, quicker. Um, yes. And I like to take my clients down the fast road versus the, the slow road where they're going down and they're waiting and waiting for capital growth just to take them there. Um, why don't they go about renovating uh, Aka the block and, you know, try and do those major yes. renovations where you can then add instant equity, and then you can tap into that equity and, and as I said, potentially buy some some more properties through that. Uh, but I t- tapped on that earlier as well. It's really important uh, as well if you can find opportunities to buy, you know, without option competition off market, that would be great. So how about number five? Number five, really important to engage professionals and experts uh, because I think a lot of people try yeah. and do it on their own. And particularly the first investment, they make so many mistakes. Um, they buy the wrong property, then they can never leverage and and buy another property because they get stuck on property number one. Um, I think the figures are about 70% of people buy one property, um, about 18% mm. of people buy two properties and only about 9% of people um, buy three or more properties. So a lot of people get stuck on that first property because they don't engage an expert buyer's advocate like myself, uh, giving myself a bit of a plug there, um, and they don't engage other, um, you know, professionals um, such as a mortgage broker to get the right finance, to structure it the right way. Um, so it's really important to get the right structure at the start um, and also an accountant. They don't engage the accountant, so they might buy it in their name and they should have bought it in a family trust or they should have set up a self-managed super fund. And there's, uh, there's a whole range of you know, experts that you should tap into because um, it is a big financial decision. You're, you're generally investing yeah. now at least half a million dollars because you're not going to get a lot of change uh, under that. Um, so it's really important. Uh, yeah. A lot of people listen to friends and family um, or the local butcher or the local milk bar uh, owner and... They're such great experts, though, aren't they? They are, but then you go, well, you know, how many properties have they got? Um, you know, sometimes they, they listen to family and friends and, and really, you know, get the wrong advice. And it's like uh, it's like anything, you you know, you pay a professional to get a professional job done and, um, and that's really, really important. 
my sarcasm was dripping then. You do realise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But there's so many people that do it. They, oh, they, they end do. up you know, trying to go it alone and, you know, they, they do minimal research um, and then they go by in Queensland and they don't research the, the area properly mm-hmm. uh, and then they think it's a good buy because it's a lot cheaper than Melbourne or Sydney and then, you know, they could have overpaid. You know, I've got a client who's uh, bought a property in Queensland you know, about 10 years ago for 310000 it's worth 220000 today. Um, and, you know, got the wrong advice, uh, listened to the wrong people, yeah. and now really can't even give it away, you know, because if, if they try and sell it, they've got to pay out that loan mm-hmm. um, and you know, come up with the extra. So, so really, really important is, you know, engage professional buyer's advocate, professional mortgage broker and accountant, get everything right at the start, and then, you know, hopefully you're one of you know, the 18% of people that get to their second property yeah. and the, the 9% of people that get to their third or more because um, we're not going to be financially free un- until we've got at least two to three properties because hopefully when you're looking to retire, you can sell down one or two of them and have some cash flow coming in from the others. Yeah. And that's really the only way we're going to get uh, that cash flow passive income. Otherwise, we're going to be working uh, still until we're 100 years old and uh, we net- don't really want to do that. No, we don't want to do that. But I'm thinking of that lovely little monopoly board where you had to get the three houses and then you get the hotel. Like it's essentially the same structure, isn't it? And it is. the hotel you're making, you know, the cash flow is coming in. Yeah, it is. And, you know, if you've got one property, if you sell that to pay down your debt on that, then you've got no cash flow coming in. Yeah. So how can you retire on one? So we really need to get people to that three or more properties and that's really where, you know, lots of my clients are now that they've, you know, started the journey. And uh, Rome wasn't built in the day, Sue, no. so, you know, a good property portfolio doesn't happen in one year. No. Um, it's generally a 10-year program, 10-year plan to say, well, this is where we are today. Yeah. Let's focus on a 10-year um, you know, property is about long-term growth and, and building that slowly. And unfortunately, a lot of people try to go uh, down the fast road and think it's going to happen overnight, uh, but it takes a fair bit of time. You know, I've been investing in property for 26 years. It didn't happen overnight that I built this uh, large portfolio. It took lots of blood, sweat and tears yep. and sacrifices along the way uh, to get to get to, to here and um, I think that's important that um, that people sort of know that you know let's focus on the long-term strategy it's not about you know short-term speculating uh, investing in shares and making money overnight um, and I think that's important to, to really uh, you know have that mindset as well definitely now we will have a short break and come back with Frank's top six to ten do's when it comes to investing in property You're listening to Real Estate Right, and we are celebrating our 100th episode today with Frank Valentic from Advantage Property Consulting. We are going through Frank's top 10 do's when it comes to investing in property, and we are about to get the bottom half of his top 10. Congrats again on the 100, Sue. Thank you. So hopefully hopefully there's another 100 plus to go. I'm sure Um, there will be. (laughs) (laughs) um, love, Love sharing my tips on your show. And the next one is really the... Touched on it a bit earlier, but focusing on land value and not airspace um, because airspace does not go up in value. Um, So, you know, avoid those high-rise, shiny, 
brand new apartments that we see in the CBD and in Melbourne, the surrounds in Docklands and South Bank and, um, and, you know, surrounds because those apartments have had very little capital growth, uh, generally speaking. Um, and they're the type of properties that aren't going to build your portfolio and help you get from that first property, create some equity to get to the second and third one because there's going to be no equity there. Mm. Um, and you're not going to be able to renovate and add some value to those properties so that you're really, you're really stuck um, in, in, a, in a hard place there and you're not able to get anywhere. So I think it's really, really important that you, you sort of focus on those properties that do have some land content um, and if you can't afford a house with some land content, then look at the next best thing, which is a townhouse or a villa unit that has got a bit of a courtyard, a bit of land there, because that land is gold for you and will help you um, grow your portfolio and get to that second and third property uh, versus, you know, going for something that's nice and shiny, looks brand new, it's got great depreciation because it's brand new, but then, you know, in 10 years' time, I had a client who bought in Park Street, South Melbourne, so, you know, for 510000 over 10 years ago. They just sold that for 448000 because of the oversupply in South Melbourne and surrounds. Mm. You know, great location if you bought a house or a townhouse that had some land value, yeah. but not if you're buying airspace in a Park Street, South Melbourne tower. And so, you know, that was unfortunate for my client and I've had another one who bought in Footscray and it was similar again. They, you know, they just bought airspace in one of those medium to high rise, um, developments in Barclay Street and, you know, paid 510,000 and, you know, we still can't even get it sold for around 450,000. It's been on the market for ages. Um, so, you know, this is coming from, you know, my experience in the Melbourne market and, you know, uh, prior to the last 10 years, you probably would have made some more money in the apartment sector, even if you bought airspace, because there was less of those properties. But in the last 10 years, there's been this apartment explosion. Mm. Um, so really focusing on that land value. And as I said, uh, I don't mean going out and buying, you know, 20 acres in Timbuktu. But, yeah. you know, if you can get a little bit of land with a villa unit and reservoir yeah. or a bit of land like Tony with that villa unit in Maidstone, yeah. that that small land component is going to drive your uh, your wealth creation strategy definitely. Yeah, which is what you want. So with those losses, is that able, like I know you're not an accountant, but could you claim that as a tax loss, like a capital loss? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it obviously will help bring your taxable income down, which, yeah. you know, is the only positive out of <laughs> that negative, uh, negative situation is, you know, at least your yeah. tax comes down. Uh, but it's not going to help you get to property too because you've got no equity there to go ahead and, and use that equity as your deposit for your next one. So, so yeah, you can claim it, but um, it's like anything, Sue, you know, if you're in business and you're, you're claiming losses, then your business is not really profitable and, and likewise your, your property portfolio is not profitable and not successful if you're doing that. Yeah. Yeah, not ideal. Now, number seven, what's the cheeky number seven? Yeah, but always buy the worst house in the best street, the best location, because you can change a property, as I said before, but you can't change the location. You can't pick that house up, take it from a main road, take it from Dandenong Road, Princess Highway, and put it in a quiet side street in, say, Chomley Street, Paran. Um, you can't do that, unfortunately. You know, you're stuck with the location no that you buy. 
block out that noise, is it? <laughs> uh, it's not. And, you know, people don't want to have that noise factor and, and you know, even just getting in and out of your driveway, mm. you know, would be a nightmare um, on, on certain occasions. Um, so, you know, it's always about trying to see whether you can add some value. And if you buy that ugly duckling or, you know, the, the commonly known fixer-upper, yeah. um, you can add that value. As we see on the block every series, you know, they, they, they sort of buy these properties, they're all run down, then they bring them to the level of a fully renovated uh, property that's in a totally different market. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you are going to continue to rent it out, you're going to get much more rent if it's uh, – a renovated property, so you're increasing your rental return, you're increasing cash flow, yeah. which then gives you more of that balance of capital growth and, and more rental return versus having, you know, an older house that's that's not renovated. You can also claim back the renovation costs, um, generally most of them over five years. Yeah. So it can be a really good strategy to do that. Um, now, the, um, the government changed the depreciation laws quite a few years ago where if you haven't renovated yourself and someone renovated the kitchen one or two years ago, you actually can't claim the depreciation on that anymore. Mm. Um, it has to have been done by yourself. So that's why it's really important to, to buy something that's a fixer-upper that yeah. if you value and you spend that 30000 that my client Tony did in Maidstone, um, he's able to claim literally that 30000 back over five years. Nice. Um, so you're putting it in and then you're getting it out again yeah. and you're also then lowering your tax um, so, so it's really, really important. Um, you know, you, you should try to avoid buying next to train lines, you know, too close. It's great to be close to transport. But not that but close. Not when you, <laughs> yeah. But not when you hear the trains rattling at your back, at your back door or at the back windows. So, um, if it's next to a petrol station, if it's on a main road, mm. um, there are things there that you want to try and avoid. Yeah. Um, and ideally, you know, when you buy that worst house, if it has got a bit of land, you might have potential there for future subdivision or development, um, whether you do that yourself or whether you add value, because you don't have to add value just by renovating. You can add value by getting a permit to do two townhouses, yeah. and you might not even do it. You might just sell it with the permit, yeah. or you might actually do the two townhouses, um, keep them, sell one, yeah. sell both. Um, you're then maximising uh, the development potential of that land. So, so ideally, as I said, if you can buy that house, uh, the worst one that they might have as well, some subdivision or development potential, uh, that's an extra tick because that can give you um, a lot more uh, potential in the future as well. And, and as I said, whether you do any developments yourself or whether you have that as a resale factor, it can only be a positive for your property as well. Yeah. I actually heard of a person who recently made three properties out of one. So he had a weatherboard house on the land, sold the house, relocated it, mm-hmm. um, made, you know, $80,000 on that, if you like, and then subdivided the property, building one house for himself, one house as an investment. Mm-hmm. Beauty, he's just, you know, made three properties out of one. Yeah, well, exactly. And then he could have potentially have two or three incomes coming in, depending on whether he's going to live in one or if he rents three of them out. Yeah. Um, so it can be a great way to have that, you know, the, the extra incomes. And then so down the track, yeah. you might sell one or two of them or and pay down the debt on yeah. others and then have um, that, that beautiful, um, I suppose, strategy is, you know, having some passive income coming in where you're sort of sleeping and you're getting this income coming in. Um, while you're sleeping, and, that, and that's really the goal um, when you're when you're looking to retire. Yep. Now, 
we did we did number seven, didn't we? We did, and now we're on to number eight, which is really, <laughs> I talked about it earlier, um, try and buy wholesale. So try to avoid, um, you know, if it's a seller's market in Melbourne and Sydney and most parts of Australia at the moment, you try, want to try and avoid uh, the competition at auction when you're buying in this market. So, you know, it's really important to see whether there's any of those wholesale opportunities, whether you can buy off market yeah. and whether you can pick up those opportunities. So um, I just bought a, a property off market for a client in Ringwood North. Um, it was around 1.35 million. And the next door neighbor's property sold two weeks later at auction for $150,000 more. It was pretty well identical as a part of Ringwood North in Heron Court where they'd, you know, redeveloped it. It might have been a primary school or something in the past. Um, so classic example of, you know, how to buy um, at a better price is, you know, you've got to find those opportunities, uh, hopefully where you can buy more wholesale, mm-hmm. um, where hopefully the owner has a bit of, oh, I call it the five Ds, um, and there's five Ds when they're, when they're selling and, you know, five Ds to a distressed sale. And uh, one of them is death that, you know, unfortunately someone's passed away. Yeah. Uh, divorce or separation is happening a lot more, unfortunately, now in our society. Um, the other one is uh, others are distance where, you know, the owner's living overseas, might not know the market quite well here or just wants a quick sale. Um, they might have moved interstate or overseas. Um, and then the other ones are deadline where the owner has already bought another property mm-hmm. uh, or is needing the cash for some other business interests. Yeah. Um, and the last D, so the five Ds, you always try and find out whether the vendor is uh, in a, I call it a distressed sale or motivated um, yeah. sales situation um, and his debt because, you know, the vendor might really need that money uh, to fund other as said, yeah. business or other investments or um, even just, you know, they might have lost lost their job uh, through through the pandemic and need some cash flow coming in. So, so uh, the key is then to try and find out and get that information from the selling agent as yeah. to whether this is a desale uh, whether the vendor really needs to sell. Um, and often that can come with the settlement terms. So if you sort of ask the, the agent, you know, what settlement would be the ideal for the vendor, you know, have they got something else? And hopefully uh, hopefully then you get a bit more information yeah. and then you can sort of try and suss out if, if this is going to be um, a bit of a off-market wholesale opportunity yeah. or if the vendor's, you know, got time to, you know, to get a premium result, go to the market, um, and most properties, you know, sell uh, for the highest prices uh, when they've got a four-week marketing campaign. Uh, Sue, when you do your nice copywriting yep. and they take nice photos and they put it online and, you know, they let the world know about that property and yeah. that's not how you want to buy them. You want to buy them before they get on yeah. uh, to people like yourself doing the copy and putting it online and, and see whether there's that opportunity. I'm losing a job here, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you aren't losing a job, but there's always people that will go to the yeah. market. But um, interestingly, Sue, the, the stats are about 80% of properties sell privately in Melbourne, yeah. about 20% go to auction, and people think that's so the other way around. No, but do. you've just got to you just got to find those doors and knock on those doors of the 80% of people that will sell privately yeah. that won't necessarily run a four-week auction campaign, and there's plenty of them out there. Um, and generally they're an older demographic that, you know, might have bought this property 40, 50 years ago. They don't really understand auctions. They don't really want to go to auctions. They, they're probably only ever going to go down that path if the agent pushes them down that path. 
Um, they don't understand it. They might be a bit um, nervous about all that. And, you know, they've never dealt with that before. So it, it's a massive um, headache or a massive stress uh, for them. Yeah. Um, so, as I said, if you can find one of those five Ds, then that opportunity there is always going to be better for you. So yeah. the one I bought in Heron Court, Ringwood North, the owners had pretty well already seen a property that they liked. Mm-hmm. They wanted a long settlement term. We gave them the long settlement. Uh, they'd been at the property for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So for them, you know, I suppose, you know, that's the other factor is a distress sale generally going to happen more if the owners have been there for a longer period of yeah. time and they've bought it they've, for 100000 Well, I was going to say 30000 probably and you're making yeah. like three five. Yeah, you'd be pretty happy yeah, with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't matter. Whereas if they bought that a year ago, yeah. For 1.5, they're not going to sell it today for 1.35. Yeah. So, um, so that's the other part of it, as you can see, and that's what I look at. You know, when the owner bought it, how long they've had it for, mm-hmm. if it has been in in uh, in their ownership for a long period of time, I think I've got a better chance of buying at a better price than if they bought it in the last few years. Yeah. They're trying to cover stamp duty, agents' fees, advertising and all that and trying to sort of uh, cover their costs. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, focus on wholesale, um, you know, try and partner up and be good mates with agents and, and try and get those properties before they go to the market, yeah. continue to ring and hound them. Um, and that's what we do as buyers advocates is I sort of use my 21 years of relationships with real estate agents and, you know, literally we, we still buy about 90 percent of our properties through real estate agents not direct through vendors um so they're the real keys so you know work on those relationships so you can get into these uh, doors um you know and, and knock on the doors of these you know 80 percent of sales yeah. that happen privately in melbourne and and hopefully get one of them that's a d sale mm-hmm. that's a bit more motivated that doesn't necessarily want to go and you know spend ten thousand dollars up front which is generally what it'll cost you these days yeah you know, to advertise and, and get it online. So um, so that's number eight, Sue. Beautiful. Now number nine, getting to the tail end. Number nine. Um, well, in Melbourne, uh, really northwest-facing orientations are the best. Mm-hmm. So you want them um, to be in the living areas uh, and you want to have light and bright living areas because they're going to, you know, make your property more attractive uh, and people like having, you know, houses that are uh, well-lit, uh, that are bright, that feel warm and cosy versus having a south-facing uh, living area, yeah. uh, which doesn't get much direct sun, and particularly in Melbourne where we don't have great weather for, you know, probably six months of the year, yeah. um, that it can be really important to have that, you know, light and bright um, orientation. It just gives that property a warmer feel. Um, so obviously energy more energy efficient because you're not having to have as much heating on um and i've lived in two south facing living area houses since the first two i bought one in east brunswick and one my first one in elwood um, and that was before i was a property advocate so i didn't know uh, all these things about you know buying north facing or south yeah. facing i just saw the house and That's loved it. it yeah and bought it um and then you know after living in in both of them um, I realised that, you know, the, the back of the house, which is where my living area was and the backyard was, was getting hardly any sun at all. So it was always sort of dark and gloomy and I had to have the lights on. Um, and, you know, if I wanted to suntan the backyard, I had Buckley's chance of doing that because there's no sun. So, um, so you really anyway, think you, you can know, tan? 
Yeah, you don't want to suntan in the front yard and everyone's staring at you. So, um, so, so that was my mistake of, you know, not knowing. And, and some people still buy property without really thinking about the orientation. Um, and the orientation is, is the key because, you know, on one side of the street, you've got north facing living. On the other side, you've got south facing a lot of areas like my, um, my, my house in Elwood. And, um, if you're on the other side of the street, it's going to be a totally different, um, you know, lifestyle aspects, um, you know, light coming through. Um, you're going to spend a lot more money on lights. You're going to spend a lot more money on heating. Yeah. Um, and and also I think you said when people are looking at it, um, the savvy buyers uh, for resale value uh, will focus on that sort of north northwest side versus the south side. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's another big one because, again, you can't do much about the orientation if you've got one orientation. If you've got some clever architects, they might be able to put some windows in. If yeah. you're doing, you know, second-story extension, they might be able to put some windows in that will get you some north light. Yeah. Um, so, you know, make sure you've got a good architect if, you, if you're doing any renovations. But um, but often there's not a lot you can do with that and, and you're, you know, like, like buying in a in a poor location, um, you can't change the location. Often you can't change anything with the orientation as well. Yeah, you can't tell the sun to go the other direction, can you? You just can't do it. <laughs> nah. Um, as I said, you can be a bit clever if you're, you know, you're doing some extensions or um, additions because your architect might be able to get, you know, get some, um, you know, lights in and, yeah. and get some windows in that, that give you more um, of that nice orientation as well. So yeah. so that's really, really important because, um, you know, my savvy buyers will basically have that as one of their key criteria. That's definitely one of the things that um, COVID has really brought out of people, you know, because they are working from home, they want that sunshine coming in and, you know, it's depressing if you don't have it. It really is. Absolutely. And the other part of it as well is you don't want your bedrooms to be you know, facing, you know, the, uh, the, the sun as well because then you've got the, the sun coming in. So ideally, you know, in an ideal world, you don't have your bedrooms facing east because that's where the sun comes through in Melbourne. Um, and, you know, if you're trying to sleep in, even if you've got good, uh, good window furnishings, it can be, um, it can be harder uh, to, to get a good sleep in. So, you know, so ideally you want to have, you know, the, I suppose that sort of a different um, orientation for your bedrooms. You don't want to be facing the sun in the morning, the east, yeah. and you want to be trying to face the sun in, in the living area. And uh, that's that's going to be crucial if you're looking at resale value because uh, I know probably 80% of my buyers, you know, if it's not north, uh, west facing, we'll, we'll just cross it off the list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you just it's it's a no-brainer when it comes to sunshine. You want it where you want it, that's for sure. Now, number ten, what is it like? Number ten. <laughs> number ten is is the, the real key, I suppose. It's it's the last bit of the jigsaw puzzle mm-hmm. uh, because, as I said, we need to get from property one to property three or more. So, if we're stuck at property one and I, you haven't followed my other nine tips, you're going to be stuck there. And you're not going to get to number two or number three. And, and that's really where you start to build your portfolio. So number 10 is you're using that equity that you're building up yeah. through capital growth, through renovation subdivisions, um, not your own cash. Um, and you're using that to then build your portfolio further. So you're, you're basically setting up a line of credit 
So you go to your mortgage broker, you refinance your property, you get it revalued. And uh, that's what I did nearly every year uh, for the first 10 years of building my portfolio. I kept going back, refinancing my properties, setting up a line of credit with all the equity I'd manufactured Mm -hmm. through renovations, through capital growth. And then I set up that line of credit. And that had been my deposit for my next property. So I could then get to my second property. And I didn't have to save $100,000 cash that year to go, well, that's my deposit. Because while I was sleeping, my properties were getting capital growth. And I was doing those little value adds of, you know, the the renovations, Mm. um, whether it was subdividing, whether it was adding, adding extra value. Um, to those properties and increasing the rental return then helps me get more uh, more loans and more finance, which helps me buy more properties as well. So, you know, ideally your property portfolio has got these renovated properties creating the maximum cash flow that you can and that they're then valued at the highest uh, level that they can be because they're renovated and then you're getting them refinanced and you're using that equity um, so you're really manufacturing growth through renovations. I talked about subdivisions and developments being the sort of more advanced strategy if you get to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, otherwise, it's just a, a matter of, you know, going to your bank. You should have a finance check every year and check your property portfolio every year and get your properties revalued. And hopefully, if you have got equity in there um, and you can get a loan and basically get a mortgage um, pre-approved, that you could basically go in and, and get to property too and then potentially get to that, you know, real aim of the game is we want to get to three or more yeah. uh, to be, you know, financially independent, to be able to then you know, sell one or two of those properties, pay down the debt on the others. So we've just got passive income coming in. So uh, so that's really, really important. Um, you know, I've never used cash apart from my first property that I bought okay. Uh, when I was a young first home buyer in East Brunswick in 1995, yeah. I saved up cash for my first deposit. And then every other deposit of all the properties I've bought has been uh, from the equity in my other properties that I've been able to tap into and use as my next deposit. So, um, and that, that is really how all my successful investors have got to two, three and, and more properties yeah. um, is by focusing um, on building that equity. So it's about capital growth. It's about um, renovations so we can add value. And then hopefully we're getting to the stage uh, where, you know, you're sitting back and you're having, uh, you know, those properties making money for you while you sleep. That would be ideal, wouldn't it? (laughs) Thank you so much, Frank, for your wise investment tips. Do you have any special offers for us? Of course I have a special offer. We talked about renovating on the block, Sue. Um, so yes. I know your yep. listeners always love to have a sneaky uh, peek at the block. Um, so always yes, happy to give, you know, a, a special uh, free uh, viewing of all the block properties in Bronte Court, Hampton, which has just uh, sort of hit our screens not too long ago. Um, so, again, I'm sure it'll yep. be an exciting series. And so happy to always offer that to your listeners because I know they – they love the block. They love they uh, that strategy of adding value and, and increasing property's value that we talked about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a, a basically free viewing for um, for a family. So a whole family can go down there. Beautiful. Thank you. And have a look at all five of the uh, the block properties in 
Bronte Court in Hampton. Thank you so much, Frank. It's always great having you on. And yes, we've actually got um, a couple of winners from Tasmania coming over to um, see you from um, in November. It's usually around November, isn't it, when it happens? Yeah, it will be. And um, yeah, Tassie hasn't been locked down, so I'm sure they'll be able to get over. Yeah. Hopefully your other winners can get over. But yeah, um, yeah we can definitely... We can coordinate that and and, um, and and give your listeners a great opportunity yeah. to see firsthand. They're pretty exciting this year. They've got basements for the first time, um, which is uh, which is pretty pretty much a, a block first. So you know, either basement theatres or rumpus rooms or you know recreation rooms, and um, so so it'll be exciting to to see them all come to fruition. Yes, it'll be very exciting. Um, now, in terms of being the uh, key investment advocate that you are um how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about investing or even using your vendor or buyer advocacy services um or even just put a property on the rent roll how can they contact you yeah well they can get on our website at advantageproperty.com.au um, get our details we've got all of our contact details and contact me direct um, yeah. and we offer a first free consultation uh, to any client to just discuss their situation see where they're at see whether they're at that start of the journey or they're at property one or property two. Or, um, and sometimes it's about actually, you know, re, um, recalibrating if the portfolio is not getting you from one to two and three that, um, you know, it gives some free advice sometimes as to what properties uh, people should sell or keep. Um, so yes. that, that can be a great way to, you know, just, just get the, an independent viewpoint on, you know, how your portfolio is going and, and I can give some advice there. They can contact us and, uh, We'd love to chat to them. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, and again, thank you so much for all your support over the last 18 months or so. It's been a great journey and um, you've been here from, you know, the very first episode. So I really appreciate you. No worries. Look forward to being there when you hit the 500 episodes as well. I'll be, oh. I'll be all the way along and oh, be happy to be so involved. Thanks. Thanks so much, Frank. Really appreciate it. Now, next week, we have a couple of larrikins who are top in their field. We have Andrew Butler from Butler Plumbing and Jono McCartney from McCartney Electrical Solutions to talk to us about the mandatory changes in the new Residential Tenancies Act for landlords. Andrew and Jono will guide you on all you need to know when it comes to plumbing and electrical compliance when it comes to servicing your investment property. So don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.